This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Ghost of the Karmiki. Even those of us who have visited Africa's teeming cities find it difficult to recapture them in our minds once we are back in civilization. It's even hard to believe that certain places really exist, though we've seen them with our own eyes. The fantastic slave mart on the outskirts of Tarak, for example. Unfortunately, it does exist. A barbaric open-air market where humans are auctioned off like cattle or donkeys or camels. Before the auction begins, you may inspect the goods to be sold. Lift up a chin to examine the eyes and face, feel a muscle, prod a back that may soon be bent to your labor. Prices today range from the American equivalent of about $15 to $150. And the bidding is usually spirited. The bidding is closed. 20 riyats for this fine young boy who is capable of much heavy work. You have made the fine purchase. Halalalai. And now, now the prize of our collection, this beautiful young native girl. Turn around so the multitude may see you. Notice the clear, light color of her skin, the beauty of her face and form. She will make someone a fine wife or a dancing girl. I invite the first bid. Come, come, real beauty. Fifty riyadh. Ah, it is an insult to bid such a paltry sum. She is but 17 years of age, freshly brought from the jungle, never before held in slavery. Ah, I see the symbol for 200 riyadh. You do well to bid such a price, Sheikh Razim Ben Amud. Is there further bidding? The bidding is closed. And that concludes the auction for the... What do you want, Ibn Mada? Oh, oh yes. Uh, kind people. I almost overlooked one black who is yet for sale. You, get up on the auction block quickly. Oh, yes, master. I climb up quickly. Do not call me master. I would not own such a miserable specimen of the human race. 
My friends, I offer this black for quick sale. If you have the food to fatten him up, he may develop into an adequate field hand. I invite the first bid. I recognize the gesture of the Alafin of the province of Mayobo. One riyat has been bid. I invite the second bid. <laughs> you need not come forward with your bid, stranger. Just raise your fingers indicating your offer and I shall I am go. not bidding for the man, for I do not believe in slavery. I come forward to challenge your right to sell a black whose forehead does not bear the mark of a slave. The incision will be placed there soon. We will now proceed with the auction. You will not sell this man. He wears the necklace of the Karmiki, a token that marks him as a member of the bravest tribe in the entire jungle. No Karmiki has ever been a slave. Until now. I do not know who you are, but I warn you not to delay our auction. We operate with the full permission and cooperation of the Alafin of the province. And should you attempt to interfere, your lot would not be a pleasant one. Your threat does not frighten me. I refuse to let you off. <laughs> you see, should you attempt to interfere, not only would you be forced to face the authorities, but you would also have to face the anger of all those assembled here. Might I suggest that if you have interest in this handsome black, you bid for him like the other. All right, I bid the entire content of my purse. One hundred riyal. Sold. And uh, what is the name and the uh, title of the wealthy potentate who pays a hundred riyal for a most ordinary field land? I am Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. And it is my belief that no man is ordinary save by his own actions. You, Mr. Auctioneer, are the most ordinary man I have met in many moons. It may surprise you to know that I am a man of strange talents and accomplishments. With the payment of the money for the slave, we shall be even on that transaction. You shall not settle the account for the insult so easily. We need not tremble, Najugi. We shall be quite safe in this hut. Who is owner of hut? An Inglaser, a government official who is just as much opposed to slavery as I am. This hut is on his estate, and we have his permission to remain here until you're well enough to leave Tarak and travel to the land of your people. Tarzan not keep Najugi a slave? No, Najugi. I, I bought you so that I could return you to your people. Tarzan send Najugi back to Karmiki? I shall take you back. It's plain that you've been sick and that it would require months before you could brave the jungle alone. It's true. Najugi not able to reach land of Karmiki. Well, you'll feel a lot better in a few days if you sleep well and eat the food our host provides. You know, you hardly ate a bite of the food he sent for our dinner. Tarzan not eat... <laughs> I'm unable to eat the food of the cities, but you must have been away from the jungle for a long time. Three years. But that white Ojigi thin and weak, not like food of city. <laughs> Two hungry men and neither of us can eat. You know what I'm going to do, Najugi? I'm going into the forest at the edge of the city and find some fresh meat for us. Would you like that? A deal. A thousand get fresh meat. And you must sleep until I get back. Food and rest. That's what you need, Najugi. A deal. <laughs> Sounds like you're ready for sleep already. A deal. The Jugi, much tired. The Jugi lay down on a straw pallet that Tarzan had prepared in a corner of the hut, and almost before his frail body had touched the makeshift bed, his eyes were closed and he had begun to breathe deeply. Tarzan watched him for a moment, and then he slung his bow and a quiver of arrows over his shoulder and left for the forest that skirted the city. But almost before Tarzan was out of sight, Najugi had jumped up, gathered his few simple belongings, and almost ripped the door of the hut from its fiber hinges as he ran out. He ran almost the entire length of the city, ran until he had reached the imposing house that stood behind the slave market. He knocked impatiently at the door, and when it had swung open, he hurried inside. 
Well, I thought I had seen the last of you, Nijugi. Nijugi, run away. Uh, you fled from your new master already, eh? Uh, what do you expect me to do with you? To sell me again a slave. I have sold you once. I cannot offer you again. There are official records yet. Then change Nijugi's name. But sell him. Perhaps I have a better idea. One that will accomplish your purpose and mine. I would dearly like to avenge the insult I received at Tarzan's hands. And perhaps I may be able to do so through you. We'll return to our story of Tarzan in just a moment. You did not know me in my disguise, and eh, Jugi? With small beard and waxed mustache, you look like Florence Alwi. So, I look the part of a Frenchman, eh? I can also sound like one. Uh, I am so sorry, Monsieur Tarzan. I have not the remotest idea where your slave has gone. <laughs> yes, I can fool the lord of the jungle. Only this time I shall only be practicing. My couriers tell me he is on the way here. You not let him find me? No, Najugi. That would defeat my plan. You will be perfectly safe in the underground passageway where I hide other slaves who must not be found. Oh, that must be Tarzan now. Go through this doorway into the hiding place. No deal. Najugi, hide from Tarzan. Uh, bonsoir, monsieur. I am looking for the auctioneer from the slave market. I was told he lives here. Uh, oui, monsieur. This is the residence of the commissaire preserve, but he has left the city. Oh, well, when will he be back? He will be gone, as you say, uh, indefinitely. Uh, perhaps there is something I can do? I'm looking for a runaway slave by the name of Najugi. <laughs> you are welcome to search the premises. But you will find no runaway slave here. <laughs> Tarzan did not penetrate the clever disguise of the crafty slave auctioneer, nor did he find the strange-acting Najugi. For the next week, the jungle lord searched the city of Tarak, but nowhere was there a trace of a lost Karmiki native. Still, there had been no sign of a struggle in the hut, so perhaps Najugi had merely doubted Tarzan's intentions and had fled into the jungle. Perhaps by this time he had already reached his home. And so, at the end of the week, Tarzan plunged into the jungle, and after four days he reached the Karmiki kraal. A celebration was going on, and Tarzan rejoiced at the sounds of it. Surely it must mean that the people were celebrating the return of one they believed dead. Boleko! Boleko! Tarzan! Oh, now it's fine. Tarzan here for feast and ceremony. But he has returned, Boleko. Returned? Who, Tarzan? The Karmiki native I found in Tarak. Oh, no Karmiki returned from Tarak. Oh? I thought that was the reason for the celebration. Oh, I have feast and dancing for Boleko's wedding. He marry up with beautiful Maya. Oh, I, I'm most happy for you, Boleko, but my mind is troubled over the disappearance of the Karmiki I found at the slave auction. I my, intended to... My Tarzan here! Lord of Jungle come to our wedding. Ah, oh, you certainly picked a beautiful bride, Boleko. Jumbo Mai. <laughs> she not talk to you. It is taboo for her to talk to any man till she bride a Boleko. Boleko is next chief. My Sunday be queen. Oh, when is the marriage? Uh, tomorrow. Uh, tonight, my go to forest of brides. Boleko go to temple of warriors. When Kuda, the sun, bride in heaven, marriage ceremony begin. There's <laughs> much drink and food for all her tribe. If only that poor thin one could be here. Boleko, how did Najugi happen to leave the village? Najugi? Yes, that's the name of the Karmiki who was sold to me as a slave. I started to tell you about it when Mai joined us. 
Well, let go or not. No, Carmi, keep my name the Jogi. But he couldn't be more than a few years older than you. You must have played together as children. No, Carmi, keep name not Jogi. My is looking at you strangely. Are you telling me the truth, Walako? His truth. Come, I, I take you to women. They prepare you for a vigil in Forest of Rye. She's, she's trembling. What is it, Mai? Was it the name Najugi? Yes, she shudders each time I say the name. Who is Najugi? And why do you deny that he's a member of your tribe? He's not a member of tribe. Baleko not remember anyone by that name. Baleko, for some strange reason, was lying. Tarzan knew it. Najugi had worn the Karmiki necklace about his scrawny neck as he stood on the auction block in Tarak. He must be a member of the tribe. But not a single warrior nor a woman of the tribe could be persuaded to utter a word concerning the missing native. Tarzan's only hope of unraveling the mystery lay in the ancient witch doctor whom he had known since he was a small boy. We've known each other for many years. I'm counting on you to tell me the truth. Witch doctor, tell truth to white brother. What Tarzan want, no. Was there ever a native of the village whose name was Najugi? Nadio. I knew it. How long since you left the village? Najugi gone from us, Miyaka Tatu. Three years. Yes, he said he'd been gone from the jungle three years. But why do the others of the tribe refuse to admit that he ever lived here? It's custom of jungle people. I don't know what you mean by that. T- tell me, why, why did Mai tremble at the mere mention of his name? Mai never liked Najugi, though he chose her as bride when she still child. She always afraid him. I see. And is that why Boleko became angry when I pressed him for information about Najugi? Boleko always hate him also. Maybe is because Najugi older. Boleko think Najugi become chief. He know his brother be bad chief. They're brothers? They were brothers. And Najugi died three years ago. We'll return in just a moment to our story of the ghost of the Karmiki. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here. Uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, with an exclusive loot on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! Yeehoo! To the Loot Crate video box! What's with kids today, huh? Wowzers! With crates starting as large as 11 dollars per month, those are backs just about for all collectors! To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash Loot Crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash Loot Crate. Great Scott! Snap into a Loot Crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Not far from the Karmiki village, two men walked wearily along an abandoned elephant trail. 
One was Majugi, the native, who had died three years before. The other was a red-bearded white man, dressed in the traditional garb of a Diala trader. Of the two, the black man was the most weary, and presently he faltered and half fell to the ground. Are you really that tired, Ajugi, or is it another attack of cowardice? Oh, maybe he's both. But Yugi is afraid. I've told you you have nothing to fear. I can fool the beasts of the forest, the black men of your tribe, or the white idiot who calls himself Lord of the Jungle. Tell the Yugi how you can be many men, all different, and how you can be so clever. <laughs> Essentially, I'm an actor, a good one. I can be an Arab, a trader, and an auctioneer of slaves. Also, I can portray a Frenchman, a man who is culture, de bon vivant. Or I can be a pack peddler. Or anything else I choose, Najuki. Why are you not actor on stage? I was on the stage. But it did not always confine my characterizations to the theater. And though my aliases and my disguises were many, it is no longer safe for me in civilized countries. The police of a dozen nations are itching to get their hands on me. No, my life wouldn't be worth much if I went back. If Kamiki find a Juki, he also die. You're not going to die, Najugi. You're going to have that little girl you always wanted for a wife. You're going to get that job as chief of the tribe. And you're going to make those Kamiki so scared they'll be afraid to cross you in anything you ever say or do. What magic make this come true? The magic of Vanetti, the magnificent. Oh, yes, I was once a magician, too. The best magic acts of its day. Sleight of hand, card tricks, feats of magic and legitimate, occult readings and hypnotism. The wonders of the celestial world brought to you by Vanetti, the magnificent. You are Vanetti this time? No, on this occasion, I'm simply Billy Blossom, a humble pack peddler from Nairobi. You will perform the feats of magic this time, Najugi. Now, let's get going. Things are going to happen in the village of the Kamiki. And things did happen. Less than an hour later, Mai came screaming from the forest of brides. Forgetting the taboos, she babbled incoherently about evil demons and the spirits of the dead. Hysterical, she was carried to the Hema of her parents. A solemn conclave was held about the ceremonial fire, and the witch doctor uttered strange incantations and prescribed a mystical cure. What is wrong with your bride, Boleko? You see, evil demon. Ghosts of those who are dead. I see. And what has the witch doctor prescribed? Wedding cannot take place for three moon now. My ye must climb sacred mountain. Bury heart of chicken and deep pit at top of mountain. Also put in whole sharp stick from God's old tree, black rock of sharp edge. Bang of snake. But why must she do this? If my see demon, it mean her heart not pure. Cannot be bright unless she make pure. Chase ghost of dead. I am curious, Boleko. Whose ghost did she see? Grandfather who dead before my born. Najugi who died three years ago. I can't explain Mai's story that she saw the ghost of a grandfather she never knew. But if she saw someone who looked like Najugi, it may well have been him. He, he's no spirit, but a man who was alive. No. No Najugi death. Boleko kill him. Kill him and bury his body deep, burying the Juki with his own hands. Even two Tarzan witch doctor cannot tell dishonor of tribe. But you must surely know by this time that I'm your friend. You deal, you are friend. Then tell me the story of Najugi's supposed death. I, I mean you no disrespect, but perhaps there's a simpler method of removing evil from Mai's heart than sending her alone to a dangerous mountaintop. His only way, she see ghost of grandfather and of Najugi. Why did Boleko kill his brother, and why was he not punished for it? Punish Peleko for saving honor of chief's family? How did he do that? Men of tribe hold shori. Decide kill Najugi for steel ivory from secret cave of Kamiki people. If warriors kill family of chief in disgrace, so Boleko take Najugi in woods, kill, bury him. When brother take his life, honor of family is safe. I see. But of course it's possible that 
Which doctor? Why do you stare at me that way? What's the matter? Knives stick out of Tarzan's body. What? Knives sticking out of my body? Flames come from Tarzan's mouth. Have you gone mad? Tarzan, it is Narogi. The magic that kills? Really, I thought you were one person in the tribe of... Where are you going? Tarzan bewitched. Tarzan Mugino is trouble. He run from Tarzan. I'll never learn that these native witch doctors are... All crazy. I found it out years ago. Who are you? Where did you come from? I came in as the old bird lit out. My name's Billy Blossom, pack peddler from Nairobi. Been traveling all day and half the night to get here. Well, you've chosen a poor time to visit the Kamiki. I thought I'd sell them lots of fancy doodos for the shindig. Shindig? The wedding. The wedding's been postponed, and I doubt the Kamikis are in a mood for buying either pots and pans or trinkets. Perhaps you'll have better luck in the next crowd. Well, it's too darn late to start out again. Now, you think I could bunk somewhere in this village? I'm sure you can. Forgive me if I leave you now. There's something in the forest that I must see. Sure, sure. Run right along. I'll make out all right without you. Why doesn't make Boleko come into the forest? Right. Because I think we'll find things here that will prove that what I saw were neither ghosts nor demons. Look! His footprints are demons. Hmm. Perfectly round impressions in the soft earth. Huh. Neither imprints of animals' claws, the marks of men's bare feet, nor the indication of shoes or boots. His footprints are ghosts. Well, Echo, neither in the folklore of civilized countries nor in the fantastic stories of the jungle have I ever heard of ghosts who leave tracks. I've seen marks go in each direction. So those who left them either came from the Kaimiki village or were on their way there. They tied something round to their feet so that we could not tell which direction they were traveling. Pure. Could be. Well, Echo, I shall follow the marks that go deeper into the jungle. You follow those that go toward the crawl. Tarzan waited until Baleko was out of sight, and then he took to the upper level of jungle growth and shadowed the Karmiki youth, remaining but a quarter mile behind him. Baleko had little trouble following the round footprints that led straight to the village. But when Baleko entered his beloved crawl, he found it greatly changed. The once proud Karmiki warriors grovelled about the ceremonial fire. The witch doctor, whom he'd always respected, stood bowed and subservient. The women of the tribe, including Mai, stood transfixed with fear. And in the center of the circle, controlling them with his hypnotic eyes, stood a man with a red beard and the garb of a pack peddler. But it was not the white man, but the emaciated black at his side, who commanded Baleko's attention as he walked into the council ring. Salma you break promise to me. You come back. Come back to claim Mahi as wife and become chief of tribe. I don't should have killed you. He made a mistake when he let you go and tell others you did. Boleko, look at me. Look deeply into my eyes. Look at the light from the fire that shines there. I am your master. You will not harm Najugi. No, not harm Najugi. You will grovel in the dust with the others of your tribe. Yes, and dust. You will soon go to sleep, you and the others of your tribe. And when you awaken, you will tell the Kamiki that Najugi is to be your chief. Najugi. And you will lead the safari that carries your treasure of ivory to the slave market in Tarak. Boleko, what awaits you? Come on. <laughs> you see, Nidugi, all I have promised has come true. I have restored what is rightfully yours. I have gained a treasure in ivory. And I have avenged my insult at Tarzan's hands by making a fool of him. And should he come back here, I shall merely turn my hypnotic gaze on him. And he, too, will fall a victim of my severity. <laughs> Adam! That takes care of you, Najuki. And now... 
my brothers. Silence, that I may speak to you. Speak, Lord of Jungle. Last night, all of you were placed under a spell. But now the spell is broken. Once again, your witch doctor and your chief are your leaders. You will not listen to the words of another. But because I had some hand in opening your eyes, I should like to make a few requests. What you say is law, Lord of Jungle. I ask that Boleko be forgiven for having spared the life of his brother three years ago. I, I should like Boleko's marriage to Mai to take place today, as originally planned. It shall take place, Santa Tata. And I ask that your jungle justice be tempered with mercy when you judge the two who lie bound in the prison hut. One is a member of your own tribe... A man who was so afraid of your anger that he twice attempted to sell himself into slavery so that he could become the property of a white man and thus be immune from black men's laws. Tarzan, now men of Karmiki also know fear. We show mercy to Najugi. But other one who lies in hut... A clever man whose red beard was as false as his heart. I do not ask leniency for him, only that he be given a fair trial. I'm afraid I shall have to appear as a witness against him, for with my own eyes I have seen him sell humans into slavery. And I know that to shackle man's feet and hands is also to enchain his soul. This, perhaps, is the greatest of all crimes. We'd like you to remain with us for another few moments so that we may tell you about our next story of Tarzan. Strangest of all of Africa's countries is the tiny kingdom one must cross in order to reach Timbuktu. On the banks of the river Niger in the French Sudan, it is ruled by a black potentate who wears robes of purple and gold and conducts a court as lavish as those of ancient Rome. The Kaia is a man of great culture and great jealousy, and Tarzan finds adventure on the road to Timbuktu. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Blesser. This is a Commodore production. Listen to our next story, Adventure in the Road to Timbuktu, another thrilling episode of The Lord of the Jungle. Tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now, in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of adventure on the road to Timbuktu. In other cities of the world, the sight of a bronze white savage clad only in a leopard skin might have been expected to attract attention. But not in Tarak. For as Tarzan walked down the principal street, he was surrounded by half-naked tribesmen wearing all sorts of outlandish costumes. 
But he was attracting attention. From shadow doorways, he was watched most intently. And all of those who watched him bore the tattooed symbol of the gold zebra upon their gleaming black foreheads. Unaware of the piercing eyes that followed his passage, Tarzan approached the bizarre Hotel Internationale and passed through its ornate teakwood entrance. Uh, good morning. Good help to you, Buona. Thank you. Have you Mr. Keith Roberts registered here? Uh, most certainly. Mr. Keith Roberts in room 302. Perhaps it would be better to send a message up first. But uh, you are expected, Tarzan. Expected? Oh, you're, you're mistaken. Mr. Keith Roberts and I have never even met, and he couldn't possibly have known that I'd arrived this morning. Uh, he, he seemed to know, Tarzan. Well, until a few days ago, I wasn't even aware that anyone called Keith Roberts knew my name. And <laughs> How do you happen to know it, by the way? Your reputation is well known in Tarak, Buana. It is you who are mistaken concerning advanced knowledge of your coming. Mr. Keith Roberts said you were to come right up upon your arrival. He sent down word nearly, nearly an hour ago. But I wasn't even in Tarak an hour ago. I, I was still traveling through the jungle. Uh, the, the ways of Allah are mysterious. Beyond the knowledge of mortal man. Room 302, Buana. May Allah guide your footsteps. <laughs> half-caste clerk of the hotel fondled a golden charm in his hand as Tarzan headed for the stairway. It was the symbol of a golden zebra. When Tarzan reached the third floor of the rambling hotel international, he walked rapidly along the heavily carpeted corridor. Then he paused before the latticed half-door that bore the number he'd been looking for. Come in, Tarzan. Thank you. You don't know why they bother putting those half-doors on anyway. Everyone walks in and out as though they weren't there. Oh, the desk clerk told me to come up. No, I didn't mean you. I meant the native servants. They never even bother knocking. The clerk also said you expected me. Have you a staff of Scotland Yard men with you? No, hardly that. I'm not here on a diplomatic mission, just a simple business trip. Glad to know you, Tarzan. I'm happy to know you, Mr. Keith Roberts. By Jove, I think I would be safe on a journey with you looking out for me. I'm a pretty good judge of character, and I like your cut. Well, thank you, but I, I haven't yet agreed to accompany you. Your message said you wanted to go to Timbuktu and that you were badly in need of help. Is that correct? Well, it's correct that I'm going to Timbuktu. It's a vast country that's expanding rapidly. The Board of Trade thinks I can promote business there. And it's also correct that I shall need help in reaching that outlandish country. But I sent you no message. But I have the note right here. I tucked it. Oh, it's gone. Well, perhaps I was mistaken. Maybe I threw it away after I read it, but... I most certainly received it's no a matter. The important thing is you're here. And I'd like you to guide me on my march through the jungle. Well, the easiest way of reaching Timbuktu is by boat along the Niger. I wouldn't set foot in a rowboat. A seasickness, you know. But to travel to Timbuktu by land is most dangerous. I'll take my chances. Will you come along, Tarzan? Yes, I'll, I'll accompany you. But I would like to know how you learned of me. And uh, why I received a message instructing me to come here. I can't account for the message, for I certainly didn't write one. But I can tell you how I learned of you. Well, please do. Well, I was in the lobby of the hotel on the day of my arrival, and uh, I was discussing my intention of going to Timbuktu. A native I hadn't even noticed until then stepped forward and volunteered the information that Tarzan was the ideal man to guide me. I see. I uh, wouldn't have been apt to write a message to a man I didn't know, but this native assured me he'd get you here. I didn't ask him how he intended to accomplish this, but... Well, perhaps there's no need to worry about that. 
The ways of Africa continue to amaze me even after a lifetime in the jungle. When uh, when do you want to start out? As soon as possible. Is full moon well, best time for safari through jungle? Who are you? How, how did uh, you... Sorry, frighten white wana. Me waiter. Bring wana's breakfast. Oh. Eat well. Need strength for journey. Timbuktu. In just a moment, we'll return to our story of adventure on the road to Timbuktu. Keith Roberts proceeded to eat an enormous English breakfast. He talked earnestly to the bronze jungle man who sat across from him. And they were so preoccupied with their plans for the safari that they paid scant attention to the native waiter who glided in and out of the room as noiselessly as a panther stalking his kill. Unlike many of his people, the servant bore no tattoo marks upon his forehead or body. But about his neck was a chain with an amulet that hung down and was concealed beneath a ruff of egret feathers. It was fashioned in the form of a zebra, and it was made of gold. He touched it reverently as he hovered over Keith Roberts. Cova bring more white man's food. I uh, didn't say I... Uh, white wanna eat more. Uh, no, I've really had quite enough to eat. Uh, thank you, Justice. Another small golden sausage, maybe. Well, perhaps just one more small one. They are excellent. Sure you won't join me, Tom? No, thank you. But enjoy it while you can, Keith Roberts. For you'll have many meals in the jungle that consist of cooked monkeys or rodents or even insects. Well, we're used to austerity in England these days. <laughs> At least I hope if I'm reduced to eating monkeys and rodents, uh, they'll be well seasoned. <laughs> it may not be easy to find trained porters and Iscari and personal boys in Tarak, let alone an adequate cook. Take Kooba long as cook. He good cook. Oh, you really now? What an amazing coincidence. Kooba cook many years before he come work in city. I say, this is a stroke of luck, Tarsum, especially since you say it's uh, a difficult lining up a staff uh, here in Tarak. Oh, well, we can't hire a cook on the strength of his own recommendation. Work for other safaris of white men. Clerk downstairs tell you Kooba good cook. I'd have no more reason for taking his word. No, just a minute, old man. I can't see any reason for not hiring this chap. But we know nothing about him. He looks all right to me, and I'm willing to take a chance on him. I've always been a pretty good judge of character. And so Kooba was enlisted as the cook of the safari. Tarzan anticipated difficulty in lining up the necessary porters and bearers and beaters, for Tarak was a port from which few safaris departed. But strangely enough, a dozen volunteers sprang forward to take their place in the caravan. They spoke a strange dialect that Tarzan did not understand, but he knew it was wise to hire men who were used to living and working together, and all of the men he hired bore the same symbol upon their foreheads, the sign of the golden zebra. As night descended, the safari left Karak far behind and plunged deep into the jungle. I say, isn't it a bit foolish to travel at night? Well, there is more danger from animals, but you've had no experience in jungle travel, and it would be unwise to begin your training under the African sun. Well, I can stand a bit of heat, but I'm not sure I could cope with a rampaging elephant. Well, elephants, aside from occasional rogues, seldom attack men. No, I think we have little to fear from elephants. I wish I were as confident about the men in our safari. They all look first rate to me, and I'm a pretty good judge of character. Oh, watch out! Why did you knock me down? I didn't see anything. Look at that tree! 
A knife? Better a good inch and a half in it. Didn't miss you by more than an inch. What? What? We chase man who throw knife? No, we dare not take a chance of separating our party in the darkness. Let me take a look at it. Say, it has a gold head. And what a strange shape. Yes. It's been fashioned in the form of a zebra. Cooper has your breakfast almost ready. After you've eaten that, you'll feel better. I still can't see why anyone should have wanted to make an attempt on my life. Well, they might have been aiming at me. I, I have many friends in the jungle, but I also have many enemies. Do you think the zebra on the handle means it was thrown by one of our own men? It is the symbol of their tribe, but all of our men were within my sight when the night was thrown. Then maybe Kooba's right. Oh, what is Koba's theory? Uh, he says uh, we're in Zulu country now, and that the Zulus may resent our having hired these fellows as porters. They might have thrown the knife with that symbol on it to cast suspicion on all men, make us fire them so they could get the job. Just one fallacy in that reasoning. The traditional weapon of the Zulus is the knobkere, a, a heavy club with a knobbed head. The knife was thrown from a great distance, and no Zulu could have been proficient enough to come that close. Oh, there's more to it than that. Breakfast ready for white buona. Thank you, Cobra. At least I know I can count on you. Nice eggs, strong tea. You want more, you call. Just a minute, Cobra. Yes, Tarzan. I want you to taste the eggs. Take a sip of the tea. You not think Cobra put in poison? Poison is a frequent weapon of the jungle, and there was an attempt on Mr. Keith Roberts' life last night. Cobra taste eggs. Hmm. Sip tea. There. You see, Tarzan, I'm afraid you're barking up the wrong tree when you suspect Cooper. He's all right, and a good cook, too. Santa Buana. I don't know what last night was all about. It's past now. I'll feel all right when I get this strong tea inside me, and I'd stake my life on Kuba. Hmm. You may be staking your life on him before we reach Timbuktu. <laughs> After mile of endless jungle had been traversed during the past weeks. Countless native tribes had been encountered and left behind. Jungle beasts and the fierceness of the elements had been encountered and overcome. And still the safari pressed on, ever in the direction of Timbuktu. There were no further attempts on the lives of either Tarzan or Keith Roberts. But the latter seemed more dead than alive. His clothing was torn and ragged. His skin was blistered and raw. His lips parched. His eyes nearly shut from the bites of insects. His feet so sore he could no longer wear his boots. How much farther, Tarzan? About three days' march. There might be an easier route, but if there is, I I don't know about it. Perhaps one of the porters might know. I doubt it. Whenever I've been busy hunting for food or staving off an attack by unfriendly warriors, they seem to have selected the most difficult parts of the jungle to lead us through. That's been lucky to write. I'm not sure I can go on another three days through this tangled mass of brambles and trees and checkered rocks. Is good road north here? A road, Goba? Good road, run by River Niger. Is easy to walk, has good water for drink. Drinking water that isn't full of insects and slime. How do you know about this road, Goba? Goba, born near here. You never told us that. You not ask. How does a road happen to exist in such wild country? Moors built road many years ago. In time, Kooba's great-great-grandfather. But still good road. Well, perhaps it is, but I know nothing of the people of this section, and on an open road, one has little protection against enemies. People here, not enemies. Good people. 
You take road, go all the way, Timbuktu. The road goes all the way there, but that's impossible. There's not a single road in all of Africa of that length. Kooba, tell truth. But if such a road For exists... For sake, Tarzan, I'm getting sick of your distrust of Kooba. He's been an excellent servant. He's proven himself completely trustworthy. Yes, but this fantastic story this of a road... There's no you... time to worry about why you haven't heard of the road or why Kooba didn't tell us he came from this district or any of the rest of that nonsense. He knows a road that's easy to travel and has good drinking water near it. I, I don't know about you, and I don't care. As for me, I'm sorry. Well, I have no intention of deserting you at this stage of the game. All right, Kooba. Show us this... Strange road to Timbuktu. In just a moment, we shall learn what adventure befalls Tarzan and Keith Roberts on this strange road to Timbuktu. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Strangely enough, the road materialized exactly where Kooba had said it would. It was a magnificent road, and the safari made its way easily along the time-worn smoothness of its ancient rock. And then, suddenly, as they rounded a bend in the road, the river Niger spread before them. And on its banks, a miracle city rose from a sheer black cliff, a city of lofty spires and buildings. And in the center was a mighty temple that bore the symbol of the gold zebra. Tarzan and Keith Roberts sensed a trap, but it was too late. Their quarters had become their captors now, and their numbers were reinforced by hundreds of powerful Negroes who came from all sides and clustered about them. Oh, sorry, Tarzan. It looks as though I've got you into something. Don't try to run and don't make any sudden movement. We wouldn't stand a chance. I say there, chaps. You needn't push me. I'll go wherever you say. Look, they're carrying Kooba on their shoulders like a hero. Well, I suppose we'll find out in a few minutes what it's all about. I don't like the looks of those long spears, though. Look at the zebras running through the streets. Perhaps they're holy or something. That big temple just ahead seems... Look at, look at the man coming out of it. If you could call him a man. I've never seen anyone of his girth before. He must weigh close to four or five hundred pounds. Look at his garments. That's some outfit. Robes of purple and gold. Must be a high priest or something. He's coming toward us. Look at all the others. Throwing themselves upon the ground as he passes. Did you ever see jewels like the ones he's wearing? And the magnificence of the whole city. He certainly hasn't captured us in order to rob us. If only he could speak English or some other civilized tongue. And what oh. language would you prefer that I address you in, gentlemen? Well, I, I, I didn't mean what I said as an insult. I only meant... Uh, uh, he uh, means that your followers, the ones who guided us here, spoke no language we could understand. They are not my followers, but my subjects. I am the Kahia, divine ruler of thousands. Those who led you here were mute because of my orders. But why? The men were mute because I did not care to trust their tongues. They followed orders implicitly. As did my loyal subject, Kaoba. The clerk in the hotel where Mr. Keith Roberts stayed in Tarak. The messenger who brought you the letter in the jungle, Tarzan. 
and all others charged with your delivery here. And the man who threw the golden dagger at Keith Roberts, was he also acting under your orders? It was our desire to injure him but slightly, in order that he should travel with difficulty. But the elements did as well. They made sure you would not attempt to travel to Timbuktu except by the easy road. The road that would bring you to the kingdom of Cahia. Your chambers await you, gentlemen. When you are bathed and rested, you are to dine with me in my royal banquet hall. It is both an invitation and a command. I say, I feel like a new man. It's jolly decent of the Cahir to have tea set up to our chambers. Yes, jolly decent. And what chambers? I've never seen quarters like this uh, outside of the cinemas those uh, chaps in America make. It almost seems as though we're the fatted calves being prepared for slaughter. There you go with your suspicions again. I've got this thing all figured out, Tarzan. Good, then perhaps you'll explain it to me. Well, this is an out-of-the-way place, and this Cahir doesn't get many opportunities to speak with cultured people. He's obviously cultured himself. Yes, he's an educated man. So we're to be enforced guests for a while, just to keep him company. Oh, maybe he knows that I'm with the Board of Trade, and he wants to set up some sort of an exchange for native goods that are manufactured here. And he went through all those elaborate schemes just to discuss this matter with you? Oh, I know. You've got it all figured out that he's a deep-dyed villain out to kill us. Well, take my word for it, Tarzan. He may look something of a freak, but he's a gentleman. And I'm a pretty good judge of character. I hope so, because at dinner tonight, we shall not be able to force anyone to taste the foods first. You are pleased with my dancing girls? They're very good dancers and uh, very attractive. All beautiful girls. Over 200 of them and all of them mine. There are more than 300 rooms in my palace, and it took a thousand builders to erect the temple of the golden zebras. The zebras are holy to you people? They are holy to me, and thus to my people. It is said that when I was a child, a runaway horse almost claimed my life. Ah, but I was saved when two wild zebras dashed out of the jungle and forced the horse to a halt. Yes, yes. The zebras are holy in the land of the Kaia. Eh, do you like the food? Um, this uh, dish I'm eating now is uh, most excellent. There are few African potentates who could afford to serve such a dish in addition to the other delicacies and rare wines I've served you. I am very rich. Have you uh, industry in your country? We mine gold, and we collect many ivory tusks each year. My allowance is, in the case of many oriental rulers, is based on my, my weight. I am very fat, thus very rich. And how many people are in your kingdom? Thousands, tens of thousands. More than in all of your jungles, Tarzan. You dare to call yourself the lord of the jungle? Oh, you're nothing. You don't deserve any title, but you call yourself a lord. I am the Kair. No one else can match me as a ruler. Yes, yes, that's why I had you brought here. Because I wanted to see what the man looked like who dared to call himself the lord of the jungle. It is only a title of respect that some of the natives... Here they call you by that name no more. I'll see to that. Then you brought us here so that you might eliminate me. You had no desire to uh, entertain Mr. Keith Roberts. I used Keith Roberts only as a means of getting you here. 
He's a plain man who does not challenge the Kaia. But you make claims. You pretend to rule the Congo, but there is not room for two of us in Africa. I am the ruler. I am the great Kaia. All the gods. Stay back, all of you. Jungle man lies unconscious, great Kahia. Look here, old man. You can't take him to the prison cell. As dawn rises over the temple of the golden zebra, he shall be a sacrifice. A sacrifice who will be the lord of the jungle no longer. The distant cry of a hungry jungle panther reached out and returned Tarzan to the land of consciousness. As his eyes grew used to the darkness, he realized he was not in the jungle, but in a prison cell, the captive of an insane potentate. There was little chance that he might save Keith Roberts' life without help. But if he could free himself and reach Timbuktu, he might be able to return with government troops. His mighty muscles quivered as he bent the bars of his cell. Then he squirmed through, crawled to a small ledge, and leaped to the roof of the adjoining building, the Temple of the Golden Zebra. But in the moonlight below him, he could see a young zebra that was not of gold, but of soft fur and flesh. And poised, ready to spring at the helpless colt, was the hungry panther he'd heard in the distance. Tarzan knew he was risking his freedom and his very life. But he could not stand by and see the gentle creature torn limb from limb. His body formed a silvery arch in the moonlight as he catapulted downward. You escaped from your cell. Yes, I escaped. But now you have me completely surrounded again. You can have your your loyal subjects do as they will with me. That I am unable to command. You have saved the life of a holy zebra. It is my sacred obligation to honor you, to send guards with you and Keith Roberts to ensure your safe arrival in Timbuktu, and to proclaim in a loud voice that you are a brave sovereign who deserves well the title of Lord of the Jungle. Mr. Keith Roberts, your business in Timbuktu has been completed. Am I to guide you on your return march to Tarak? Heavens no. I wouldn't go through that jungle again for a million pounds. You mean you're going to risk seasickness and travel by boat this time? Not that either. I found a private pilot who's agreed to fly me back to England in his own plane. A chartered plane owned by a private pilot in Timbuktu? That sounds strange. What do you know of the man? As a matter of fact, I know nothing. But I'm sure he's a capable pilot and an honest man. I'm a pretty good judge of character. We'd like you to remain with us for another few moments so that we may tell you about our next exciting story of Tarzan. Once the island was a tropical paradise of lush vegetation, of colorful birds and flowers beyond compare. But years ago, it sank into the sea and was covered with seaweed and ocean moss. But some miracle brings the tiny island to the surface again, and gentle hands reach out to save Tarzan from drowning. And so begins his amazing adventure on Strange Island. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Blesser. This is a Commodore production. Listen to our next story, Strange Island, another thrilling episode of The Lord of the Jungle.
this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan, the bronze white son of the jungle. And now, in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of Strange Island. Lieutenant Jacques Corday stood by the window of the officer's room, scowling out at the sun-baked parade grounds and the blue ocean beyond it. He disliked the British who shared the authority of the sector. He hated Africa. Uh, Africa. Hmm? No, I was talking to myself, Captain Lawrence. I find myself a vastly more amusing conversationalist than any of you British. And they say the fine art of conversation has become lost to those of us who've been here for many years. How do you send it? The eat, the insects, the rotten fool, the filthy people. If it were up to me, I would exterminate them all. Even if I agreed with you, which I don't, I hardly believe our combined forces could conquer the Bushmen. They have the power of numbers, of jungle skill, and of great cleverness. All of the jungle people I have come across are rather stupid. I know many who are far more clever than any civilized people I've ever met. So? Not that he's typical, but there's a white jungle man by the name of Tarzan, for example. He... Tarzan? Ah, I've heard of him. He's the jungle lord, Miss Burr. Yes, many call him by that title. But what I was going to say... If someone were to reveal his superiority to this Tarzan, he would be a man of importance around here, no? Yes, I suppose so. And but... this man would then be in a position to make requests, eh? For a transfer or for other favors, I imagine? I don't know what you have in mind, Lieutenant Corday, but I should like you to know that Tarzan is my friend. Furthermore, we are here to enforce law, not to stir up trouble. But if this Tarzan violated any law, it would be up to us to arrest him, to bring him here for trial, no? Tarzan doesn't break laws. And if he did, it would take a garrison of men to bring him back. One man might be able to accomplish it if he uses it. If he made a study of Tarzan and of the law, and then used both to his own advantage. 
Africa was no longer a dull place for Lieutenant Corday. He spent his days talking to people who knew Tarzan, learning his strength and his human weaknesses. And his nights were spent poring over the law books that had to do with the African colonies. Every man makes mistakes, and when Tarzan made one, Lieutenant Corday intended to take advantage of it. It required months of study and of patient waiting, but at last the story drifted back to civilization concerning the Lord of the Jungle. And it was sufficient to take Lieutenant Corday and a small complement of men into the jungle and to the seacoast cabin of Tarzan. I'm rather curious, Lieutenant Corday. Why did your men turn around and leave you here alone? Because I ordered them to return to camp, Tarzan. But first I secured a boat that will enable me to get back. Such a journey in a small boat is dangerous. I have spent my life at sea, but uh, I did not come here to discuss the abilities of Lieutenant Jacques Corday. I came to speak of those of the Lord of the Jungle. My abilities? Your prowess with a bow and arrow, to be precise. The story concerning your recent killing of a white rhinoceros has impressed many of us at the international camp. You are aware it is against the law to kill a white rhinoceros? Yes, I know they passed such a law and it was a, a good thing for the white rhinoceros is almost extinct and conservation measures are important, but I shot this rhino in order to save a life. No, the law does not stipulate any exceptions. <laughs> but surely those, those who passed the law did not intend I to I was stop. told you would try to talk your way out of this, Tarzan, but there is no arguing with the law. I have come here to arrest you. To arrest me for saving someone's life? Go, go back to your camp before I lose my temper. I will go back. And you will go with me. You should have kept your men here. Perhaps a company might have been able to force me to go back. If they could have caught me. <laughs> Frankly, I brought them for only one reason. What was it? So they could testify as to my safe arrival here and my meeting with you. Oh, of what importance is that? Because now the only factor to be solved is my safe return. I am well aware I would stand no chance either at sea or in the jungle alone. So unless you go with me, you will be responsible for my death. I have never knowingly caused any man's death. I have left a letter at the post to be opened if I fail to return. And in it, I hold you responsible for my safety. It would be like attacking me or feeding me to one of your jungle animals to refuse to accompany me. I am to assist you in returning to the camp so that you can bring me up on this ridiculous charge? But if I do not return, you will be held for my murder. I have never been so tempted to commit one. <laughs> I don't think you'll give way to that temptation. We should have a most pleasant voyage. In just a moment, we'll return to our story of the strange island. There is a storm brewing, Tarzan. We will have to trim ourselves. Well, the wind hasn't started to rise yet. But it will soon. If there were a place to put in here, I would order it, but the island is gone. The island? An oceanic island used to lie quite near here until a few years ago, but it's submerged. They sometimes do that, you know. Would have been handy in case of trouble. Well, it's only a few miles to the mainland. I, I could swim that far if anything happened to the boat. <laughs> I couldn't. Do you think you could pull me that far? Pull you? If I do not return, you will be held for my murder. The storm is coming up. It's going to be a bad one. Quite so. Perhaps we should lash ourselves to the deck. No, no, I, I must be free. You will never be free if you swim ashore and leave me here to drown. Remember, if I do not return, you will be held for my murder. The storm 
storm had struck with tropical suddenness, and now its fury increased as though all of Africa were aboard. The waves lashed high, the boat lurched violently, and the men were swept from its deck. Tarzan's powerful arms carried him back to the frail craft, but Lieutenant Corday was nowhere in sight. He'd gone down. He would not return to the camp, and if Tarzan lived, he'd be charged with murder. He had to find it. But as Tarzan attempted to scurry over the wreckage, the mast shivered and cracked as it toppled and struck Tarzan upon the head, and he started sinking into the ocean depths completely unconscious. Corday, the man who was with me, did he die? I don't know. I saw no one else but you. Even if I had seen another, I couldn't have dragged anyone else ashore. You dragged me ashore? You're only a slender girl. I was always very strong. Father used to say I should have been a boy. In the gym class at the English school in Lagos, I was always head of the class. Oh, it isn't possible that the current carried me to Lagos. Oh, oh no. We're hundreds of miles from there. We're quite near where the storm struck your boat. The storm? It's, it's it's completely over. Of course. You've been unconscious for hours. But I, I do think it's time you opened your eyes completely. It's really quite sunny now. Oh. An island. I'm, I'm on an island, a beautiful one. I've never seen such lush vegetation, such glorious flowers and gaily plumed birds. It is a beautiful spot. I love it here. But this must be the island Lieutenant Corday said was submerged. Oh, did he? Oh, I'm happy it isn't. For if it were, I shouldn't have been able to save you, Tarzan. How, how do you happen to know my name? Oh, I, I suppose you might as well know. I, I've had a crush on you since I was 12. I used to read stories about you. And once I, I clipped a picture out of the Lagos paper and kept it on my bureau. Once when you were in Lagos concerning some native who was accused of something or other, I waited by the courthouse all day just to get a glimpse of you. Oh, that's very flattering. I, I think I have something of a crush on you for saving my life. Besides that, you're a very pretty girl. Oh, thank you. I've waited years just to hear you say something like that to me. Years? You can't be very old now. Oh, I'm 17. It's my birthday today. Your birthday? Well, we, we'd best get you home. Your parents and your friends must surely have arranged some sort of a party and they'll be worried about you. Which, which way is the village? Village? Oh, there's no village on the island. I'm the only one who lives here. A, a 17-year-old girl living alone on a tropical island? How long have you been here? I, I, I'm not sure. Sometimes it seems that I've been here forever. Father used to bring me here sometimes when we went sailing. He used to love it, too. There's something very strange about this. Well, will you answer a few questions for me? Of course, Tarzan. First, I'd, I'd like to know your name. It's Pamela. Pamela John. And your father's name? Godfrey Johns. But I really don't see... Does your father know you're here on the island all alone, or, or does he think you're off visiting friends somewhere on the mainland? Oh, yes. That's it. He, he thinks I'm visiting friends. Well, I, I think you should return home. Where's your boat? Boat? Yes, the one you came over to the island on. Where is it? Oh. Oh, well, it, it was wrecked in a storm. It, it washed away. Oh. Well, I guess I'll have to swim ashore and get help so that I can take you home. Tarzan. Yes? Please don't leave me now. All my life, I, I dreamed of you. I'd know we can't ever really mean anything to each other. 
But spend this day with me. Give me this day as a birthday present. One no one can ever take away from me. Leave tonight for the mainland, if you must. And so the day was spent swimming in the island's blue lagoon, running over its lush green carpet of soft moss and fern, frolicking like children suddenly released from school. But as the night shadows began to creep over the island palms, Tarzan knew that he must return to his world, even as this charming girl must return to hers. They stood facing each other on the strip of beach, and Pamela's slender hand clutched at Tarzan's. Must you really go back? Yes, Pamela, I must swim to the mainland so I can find a boat to take you home, and I must let your father know that you're... No, you, you mustn't get in touch with him. He'd... And there are matters of my own to be straightened out. I may be in serious trouble concerning the man who drowned when you saved me. Oh, but you might drown. It's a long way to the mainland. Oh, the sea is calm now, and I can swim it without difficulty. Goodbye, Pamela. And, and thank you for your birthday. Wait. Yes? That amulet you wear about your neck, would you give it to me as a remembrance of this day? It will be all that I'll ever have to keep the day warm in my memory. Of course you may have it, but we'll, we'll see each other often. I'll, I'll return with the boat, and even after you're living back in Lagos, no, I'll come to... We'll never see each other again. Thank you for the amulet. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Tarzan waded into the water and struck out for the main. And as he passed out of sight, another tropical storm began, and this one enveloped the island. Great tidal waves smashed against the rocks. Bolts of lightning hurtled downward. A fragile girl stood on the beach, her eyes still gazing out to sea. But not by a movement of her body or a flick of her eyelids did she acknowledge the storm. And only a tender sigh escaped her as the island submerged, leaving only strands of seaweed in place of the tropical paradise. And completely untouched by the storm were the waters where Tarzan swam. Some four hours later, he reached the dock of a small native settlement and climbed out of the water. It is Tarzan. I knew he'd... Captain Lawrence. Oh, what are you doing here? I've been looking for you ever since yesterday. I'd almost given up hope. Well, let's get one of those boats. I, I have to go back to the island. You have to... What island? There's an island just a few miles out here. There isn't an island within 200 miles That's of here. That's what there is. I've been there all day. I know there was one up until a few years uh, ago. There still is. It's it's southwest of here, and I have to go back. There's a young girl all alone on the island, and I have to go there back. There must to... have been that mast that struck your head. You're plotted like... What do you know about a mast striking my head? Lieutenant Corday told us about it. He said you were trying to push him under when the mast toppled. I hate to do this, Tarzan, but my orders are to bring you back so that you can face a charge of attempted murder. <laughs> In just a moment, the strange and exciting conclusion of Strange Island. Great subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot, fun surprises, and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude, cowabunga, to the Loot Gaming video game box. Woo! 
With crits starting as low as $11.99 per month, those are facts just about for all collectors in. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it? You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Burst from you, Todd. You're not in your jungle, but in a court of justice. I apologize, Your Honor. But when people accuse me Frankly, of lying. Carson, you try the patience of this court. And let us review the case. Lieutenant Corday came into the jungle to arrest you in a charge of violating the law that forbids the killing of a white rhinoceros. Which I have already explained. It was either the life of the rhino or that of a young native who had been disarmed. In that case against you has been dropped. But that of attempted murder is still pending against you. It is the duty of this court to determine whether the charge is true or not. But it is true. I have told the court how this savage attempt to hold me underwater until I drown in order to escape punishment for violating the game law. Is the word of an officer and a gentleman to be disregarded? Not at all, Lieutenant Corday. But we are obliged to hear all the testimony. Now then, Tarzan, if you were not hiding from the law, where were you following the accident into the boat? You, you would not believe my answer, and I refuse to be called a liar again. Captain Lawrence could tell you that never in my life have I... Unfortunately, Captain Lawrence has seen fit to disappear. It seems highly likely Captain Lawrence disappeared because he does not choose to serve as a character witness for Tarzan. Your Honor, Your Honor, since I have neither counsel nor witness, will you permit me the right to question the man who claims I tried to kill him? Yes, you may cross-examine him. Take the witness stand, Lieutenant Gordy. All right, Tarzan. Ask me what questions you will. Lieutenant Corday, you've told the court that you swim poorly. That you were so busy struggling to keep afloat that you could not defend yourself from me. Is that correct? That is very true. Then how did you manage to swim ashore after my savage attack upon you? Well, I did not swim ashore. After you were rendered unconscious by the falling mast, I floated there on a piece of wood that had been torn from the wreckage by the storm. And your makeshift raft reached the shore near Malaconda only a few hours after the storm struck. Is that also correct? Mayweather is correct. In what direction was the storm traveling? I do not know exactly. It seems to, to strike all at once. And what direction does the normal current flow at the spot where the boat capsized? You are asking many technical questions concerning the sea. As an army officer, I could not possibly be expecting no such thing. Perhaps I can convince the court that only a very strong swimmer could have reached the shore at all. That a raft would have been carried in the opposite direction... And that you have knowingly committed perjury concerning these matters since your training has been that of a naval officer. What? You are talking a great deal of nonsense. I should like I to am... call Captain Lawrence as my next witness. But Captain Lawrence I is not... I am here, Your Honor. I ran back in here over an hour ago. 
have been sitting at the back of the courtroom. Well, take the stand. I'm happy to see you, Captain Lawrence. Yes, will you will you tell the court what you have learned during the past few days? With pleasure. Your Honor, gentlemen, I shall be as brief as possible. I have traveled a great distance to learn of the past of Tarzan's accuser. I found that because of the shortage in army personnel, Lieutenant Corday was commissioned without any extensive investigation. Had his past been checked closely, it would have been discovered that he left the Navy under a cloud, occasioned by an incident that took place at camp. No, no, Captain Lawrence, you must not... In another moment, I shall hold you in contempt, Lieutenant Corday. The holder of numerous medals for swimming and small craft handling, Lieutenant Corday went boating with a fellow officer, one who was a competitor for a promotion... The other man did not return. There was no evidence of foul play. But Lieutenant Corday saw fit to resign his commission and volunteer for African service in the army. He hoped to gain a transfer after the incident had been forgotten. Tarzan was to be the instrument through which that transfer was to be effected. I ask to see you in your chambers because I have a favor to ask. Now that I've been cleared, I'd like to leave near Koto as soon as possible. Well, perhaps we'll have enough evidence against Corday without your testimony, Tarzan. I don't know what this important mission of yours is, but I wish you luck. Thank you. I had a hunch all along that Corday was lying. I know those waters near where you were wrecked, and the currents there are... Are you uh, familiar with the island near there? No, I knew the island was there. Up until the time it submerged, it was a wonderful spot for fishing. Used to go there with an old friend, Godfrey Johns. Poor chap. Poor chap? Uh, I'd rather not talk about him. Uh, Tell me one thing, if you will. Does he still live in Lagos? Yes, if you can call it living. (laughs) You you said you'd rather not talk about him, but do tell me what you mean by phrases like poor chap and, and if you can call it living. Well... Godfrey Johns has become a complete recluse. Won't see anyone who'll go anywhere. Keeps himself buried on an estate near Lagos. He's been that way ever since the death of his daughter, Pamela. sailing along the coast, circling the district near where Corday and he had been shipwrecked. The search was in vain. Tarzan's strange island was gone, but perhaps some clue as to the mysterious happenings and the identity of the girl might be uncovered at Lagos. A few days later, Tarzan reached the city and made his way to the estate of Godfrey Johns. Tarzan was immediately ushered into a great drawing room, and as he entered the room, his eyes fastened on a beautiful portrait that hung over the fireplace. It was a picture of Pamela. He stood there fascinated, and yet confused. Good afternoon, Tarzan. That, that picture. That picture, Mr. Johns. It's my only child, Pamela. She died some time ago. Under, under what conditions? Well, you see, there used to be an island along the coast, off of Malikanda. And I used to take Pamela there as a child. It's wonderful for picnics and fishing. On her 14th birthday, I gave her a small boat. She wasn't supposed to, but she took it out alone. Sailed for the island. Yes. Well, she must have misjudged the rocks by the small cove. We found the wreckage of her boat there. And Pamela? You never found her? Yes, we found her. On the beach she'd always loved. 
There couldn't have been any mistake about her identity. Oh, her face was unmarked. Look at her picture there. Could you mistake such a face? No, you couldn't. She's lovely. I've never spoken about her to anyone else, Tarzan. Why did you decide to talk with me? Because you were always her idol. She used to read stories about you. She clipped a, a picture of you out of the Lagos paper at one time, kept it on her bureau. Once she waited outside a courthouse in the city just to catch a glimpse of you. I thought I would like to talk to you, Tarzan. Thank you. When did this, this accident happen? Three years ago. She'd have been 17 last Wednesday. The day I spent on the island. A sort of a poetic thing, the island. It gave her so much pleasure and so much sorrow. Disappeared a few days after her death. Was she buried there? No. No, I wanted her near me. You must have passed her grave on the way, and it's just by the entrance to this state. I see. I haven't been able to bring myself to go there during the past week. Her birthday always affects me that way. Perhaps, perhaps you'd go there with me. Hmm? I'd like to put some flowers on her grave. Of course. Yes, Tarzan, that's where my little Pamela is buried. Perhaps another man might have built an imposing monument, but I felt... There, on, on the ground there. Oh, that's I can my... emulate. I wonder how that could have gotten here. Gardener never touches the grave. I take care of it myself. Tarzan, has your name engraved on it? Yes, I, I, I passed this way on my way to the house. I must have dropped it. Ah. Yes, I, I... I dropped it on the way. Ah, yes. Mr. Johns, if, if you don't mind, let's... Let's just leave it here. My small tribute to your daughter. To the lovely Pamela. Who would have been 17 last week. We hope you enjoyed the story of Strange Island. And we invite you to remain with us for another few moments. So that we may tell you about our next story of Tarzan. Unused to the jungle, its men dropping like flies beneath the equatorial sun, a thundering herd of stampeding animals killing all in their path, an angry mob of bloodthirsty natives with vengeance in their hearts, and a garrison of men marooned in a jungle stronghold and doomed to die there. These are the elements of our next story a message to Fort Shabir. Tarzan, the transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glasser. This is a Commodore production. Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle.
From the black core of dark Africa, land of enchantment, mystery, and violence, comes one of the most colorful figures of all time, transcribed from the immortal pen of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Tarzan, the bronzed white son of the jungle. And now in the very words of Mr. Burroughs, the story of a message to Fort Shabir. Fort Shabir, on the fringe of the jungle, is the most remote of all of Britain's far-flung military posts. History has recorded many savage massacres at Fort Shabir, for the natives of the district are warlike, and the surrounding veldt teems with savage animals. And yet, until that day, the men who were stationed there had never been too concerned with the danger. They had confidence in Major Birdwell, their commanding officer. But now, Major Birdwell was dead, and they had no confidence in the dandified Major Beekman, who had arrived that day to replace him. The feeling of unrest spread through the ranks, and it reached the staff room of the sun-whitened headquarters. Oh, I wouldn't be too harsh on him at first, men. He learned about the Congo in Duke. Good of you to stick up for me, Captain Lawrence. Not at all, Major Beekman. We didn't see you come in, are we? Yes, yes, it's quite obvious that you didn't see me come in, both from your conversation and your attire. I want no further breach of regulations here. Collars fastened, ties drawn up, shoes shined, and pants pressed. Do you understand? We'll endeavor to carry out your orders, Major Beekman. Uh, but in this intense heat, it's frequently difficult. I want action. Not excuses. If I can dress the part of an officer and a gentleman, so can my staff. Yes, sir. And now that you've learned the lesson from me, I shall be happy to listen to one from you, Captain Lawrence. They tell me you're quite the expert at diagnosing troubles. Rest of you men, excuse me. Yes, sir. To get our shoes shined anyway. <clears throat> now then, Lawrence. I'm told that there's unrest among the men. Is that true? Well, I don't believe it's a personal thing, Major Beekman. But the fact that you failed to approve the regular orders for ammunition has the men worried. Why? Because the order should have been sent to England a month ago. It was on Major Birdwell's desk when he took ill. Well, I can't see that there's any rush. There hasn't been an uprising here for years. Perhaps it's been because we had plenty of guns and ammunition until now. The natives seem to know these things. Oh, nonsense. Oh, I'm afraid it isn't nonsense, sir. There's been a great deal of rumbling among the natives lately, and it could break into warfare at any time. Oh? Well, by the way, are there any military tailors near the post? I'd like to order some uh, light-awake uniforms. Uh, there's an Arab in the city of Omdurmara who's quite proficient at handling gold braid. But I think the matter of the ammunition is a little more important. That's enough, Lawrence. I'll forward the order when and if I see fit. You may be the great expert on Africa, but I'm confident that the natives aren't going to fire on the flag of Britain. They wouldn't dare. But even as Major Beekman waved aside the possibility of an attack from the natives, the warriors of the Kamuema tribe gathered about their council fire. Huge, muscular men, they seemed like giants in their tall headdresses of aigret plumes. At their sides, they carried enormous swords in scarlet sheaths, and their war shields of toughened alligator hide stood side by side in the ground, forming a circle in which the tribal dancers whirled and spun in feverish abandon. This was the dance of war. Stop war, dance, Shonakimo. Hundred years our men dance, wave swords, throw spears. But English still take our land, kill our warriors. But you say we make war now. Adio. But now that dance is over, we put away swords, spears, arrows. This time we use white men's guns. Shonakimo, chief of Kamuema, people has many guns, much bullets. 
White soldiers at Fort Shabir not have much bullets. General Kimo knows. We kill them. Start tonight for Fort Shabir. We not start tonight. This time, warriors of Kam Yoema have guns and many men to help. Even now, warriors, other tribes on way to our village. We wait for them. When we strike, we'll be thousands and thousands of natives. We not stop until last white man gone from Congo. What's that? Nadio, he's cry of Tarzan. He come here, but we not tell him our plan. If he learn, we kill him for he can warn soldiers. War on all white men. Death to enemies of Africa. We'll return to our story of Tarzan in just a moment. Tarzan's cry had been heard in the distance, and now the warriors of the Kamuemas made feverish precautions against his coming. The headdresses that signified war were hurriedly put away. The swords and spears were taken to places of concealment, and the devil dancers quickly removed their war masks and mingled innocently with the women who were preparing food. By the time Tarzan reached the village, it presented a scene of peace, and the warlike Chanokimo seemed a benevolent ruler whose only concern was for the tribal meal that was in preparation. Jumbo Tarzan, Lord of Jungle. Jumbo Janokimo, Chief of the Kamuema people. You come in time for a fine tribal dinner. You eat, drink with us. I cannot eat with you until I have cleared my mind of suspicions. Mm. The signs point to war, and I am told that you are the leader. Janokimo, leader of war? <laughs> Someone make joke on you. Who would Janokimo make war? You've never attempted to hide your hatred of the British. No, dear. Hate English. Africa for Africans, not for white men. But arrows and spears mean nothing against guns. Janokimo not lead his warriors to sure death. Mm, your words sound true. And yet those who warn me that you might Tonight, be... after eat, Janokimo prove his words true. We build great hot fire. Burn spears, arrows, knob carry, swords. Janokimo swear on spirit his ancestors... We'll not use these weapons against white man. Convinced that the rumors of war were false, Tarzan remained to share the tribal dinner of the Kamuema tribe. The people were most friendly. There were no signs of their traditional hatred of the whites. And yet they made one mistake. They served the roasted haunch of jungle buffalo. And Tarzan remembered that the Kamuemas considered the buffalo the strongest of all beasts and that its meat was always saved until the eve of battle. But if John Okimo had spoken falsely to him once, he would repeat his lie. The best thing for Tarzan to do was to warn the men at Fort Shabir. Tarzan reached the military post a few days later, and he was soon discussing the matter with his old friend, Captain Lawrence. Uh, it's hard to say how many men he might be able to recruit, Captain Lawrence. Mm, many hundred, though, I imagine. Well, maybe thousands. It's easier to spread war than it is peace. Mm, quite so. And yet the restrictions on the sale of firearms mean that we have little to fear so far as... That's it! No... 
That's how he managed it. That's how who managed it? Jano Kimo. At the moment, it sounded as though he was swearing on his ancestors that he would not start a war. Actually, all he was saying was that he wouldn't use arrows and spears and other primitive weapons against you. You mean you think he has guns? Well, it's the only conclusion that can be drawn. Hmm. And I hate to think what could happen here if thousands of natives armed with guns started a rampage. Dozen. I want you to come with me to the next office. I'd like you to tell my superior officer what you've just told me. Well, so far as I'm concerned, no one's superior to you, Captain Lawrence, but I'll be happy to repeat my story. Good. Yes? Uh, Captain Lawrence, sir, I'd like to speak with you. Come in. Well, thank you. Uh, Major Beekman, I'd like you to meet Tarzan. I'm very happy to meet you, Major Beekman. <laughs> uh, Major Beekman, I wanted you to speak with Tarzan because he is born in the jungle. He knows more about the natives and their ways than any other man in the continent. Uh, he's just come from the bush, and he's convinced that the threat of an attack is very imminent. Oh? I think we could defend ourselves under ordinary circumstances, but without a proper supply of ammunition, we would... I approve the order, and it's in England by this time. Yes, sir, I know that. But it will be at least three weeks until the shipment gets here. Well, if we need ammunition sooner, we'll buy it on the open market. Uh, you said there was a fair military tailor in Omdurmara, and I have been meaning to go there anyway. Can I buy shells there? Oh, I'm not sure. Tarzan? Uh, perhaps you can buy ammunition for small arms, not for your big guns. Well, I'll buy what I can. Captain Lawrence, on your way out, ask the company clerk to come in. I'll have a draft drawn so that I'll be able to uh, pay for what I purchase. Oh, you'll need gold for whatever you buy in tomorrow. Gold? There's a bank there that will exchange the army requisition for gold, but I think it's pretty dangerous. Tarzan, uh, from what direction do you think this highly advertised war will come? From the southwest. I, I can't be sure, of course, but I think their forces will mass near the village of the Kamuemas. Show me on this map. Well, it's uh, it's not marked on the map, but the Kamuema village lies right about here. And Abdurmara? Right over there. Good. Captain Lawrence, best defense is a strong attack. I'll go to Abdurmara and secure ammunition. I'll meet you near the Kamuemas... Oh, whatever it is, village. Right there at the small entrenchment mark on the map. But there's nothing at that spot but a crude shelter in the center of a barren clearing. It's almost completely in ruins now. It was built many years. You'll meet me there, and while you await my arrival, you'll use what ammunition you have for thrust attacks on the native village. Those are orders. Yes, sir. And how many men shall I take? Oh, you won't need many. I'll go over the details before I leave. You better have the mechanized equipment prepared for my trip. I'll need it. I'm to bring the ammunition back. My compliments to walk, I presume. Doesn't look far on the map. It isn't far. On the map. That afternoon, Major Beekman left for exotic Andromara, and that night, by the light of flaming torches, a small company led by Captain Lawrence started its safari to the jungle entrenchment that lay near the Kamioema village. His men, although trained soldiers, were unused to such a march through the jungle, and as the days passed, they dropped like flies beneath the heat of the equatorial sun. And only the constant help and guidance of a bronzed, white jungle savage enabled any of them to reach their destination alive. But at last they were there. They had reached the desolate shambles that had once been an outpost for an early white conqueror. It stood there in the center of a large patch of barren rock, an easy target for natives with guns. Well, doesn't look like much. Well, if it's to protect you at all, it will need rebuilding. Yes, I suppose so. And when that's done, we're to start our thrust attacks. I'm afraid there isn't much thrust left in us. All you can hope to do is to stall for time until you've got an adequate supply of ammunition. A little sleep actually seems more important now. Yes, you, you and your men had better get a night's sleep. I'll stand watch and I'll warn you if any danger approaches. And if you ask me, our greatest danger is in Amdulmara. 
I hope he's found the right braid for his uniform by this time. Yes, Major Beekman had found his braid and ordered his new uniforms. He had also converted his bank draft into gold and had rested snugly in his pocket. Now he was on official business. Well-informed sources had told him he could secure unlimited ammunition through certain channels. The channels began in a certain Café Bel Oriental at the foot of the infamous Street of Thieves. Uh, good evening to you, Effendi. Good evening. I, uh, I want to see the head man, the boss, the proprietor. I am most sorry, Effendi, but there is nothing I can do for you. A drink, a tasty morsel, or a game at which you may try your luck, perhaps. But I am powerful. I said I wanted to see the boss. Now drag him out you here before I... desire to see me, Inglis. Inglis? It is our term for an Englishman. You are an officer of the English, are you not? A colonel, perhaps? Well, uh, not yet. Uh, I'm Major Beekman. Uh, perhaps you'd be good I enough to... I am Julnar. Uh... I am the owner of this establishment. You? Well... <laughs> It should be a pleasure to do business with a beautiful woman like you. You are most kind. Is there uh, somewhere where we can uh, talk privately? There is not yet anyone in the gambling room. We can go in there. Come. Oh, fine. Rehan, you will bring us drinks to the gambling room. <clears throat> uh, now then, Miss Yolda, I've, I've been told that you you can secure guns and ammunition for me. Oh, not Miss Yolnar, just... Jolnar. What is your first name, Major? Uh, George, George. Uh, have I been informed correctly about the uh, ammunition? You are all business. Have you no time for the preliminaries? A drink, perhaps a meal, a few extravagant compliments? You British are so, so cold. Oh, well, of course, I, I didn't mean to be rude or unfriendly. You have money with you. Gold. Yes. There you are, Yolna. You can count it while I make out a list of the things that I require. I think perhaps I could tell you when and where you will require the ammunition. I know a great deal about what goes on in the interior. Oh, then you believe these wild rumors of a native uprising, too? Perhaps. But you needn't bark at me, George. Without my consent, you will be unable to buy a single bullet in Omdurmara. And I only sell to those who are friendly to me. Now... Sit back in that chair and relax. Your drink, mistress, Effendi. Thank you. You brought us such small drinks, Rehan. Perhaps you best return and bring us the bottle. George may be here for a long time. He may succeed in getting what he came for, and then again, he may not. <laughs> And the ammunition becomes a vital matter as a savage war begins. We'll return to our story in just a moment. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. From the heart of the jungle comes a savage cry of victory. This is Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Well, here.
here we are, back in our cozy little jungle retreat. Well, at least you lost no men in this thrust attack. Well, because I made no attack. Despite orders, I'd be a poor officer if I tried to lead my handful of men against those hordes of natives. It would take them an hour to find out how few men we have and how sparingly we're forced to use our scant supply of ammunition. Besides, if you were to strike the blow first, I would no longer be your ally. But they are preparing for war. You can tell that. Yes, and they have guns. I've determined that in the little scouting trips I've taken alone. What are they waiting for, Tarzan? Why don't they throw their weight at us and get it over with? They may be playing the ancient jungle game of patience. Or they may be waiting for some development about which we know nothing. Well, they're not going to toy with us forever. I know what I'm waiting for. Major Beekman. And he'd better get here with the ammunition in a hurry. But Major Beekman was still in Andromara, a victim of the cleverness of Julnar and of his own weaknesses. He was drinking heavily now, he hadn't slept in days, and he had developed a fondness for the decadent life at the Café Oriental and its gambling room. He had lost a small fortune of his own, and now the goal that was to pay for the badly needed ammunition was in the center of the table. Oh, I see. I, I have to win this hand, Yolnar. I can't keep losing hour after hour. Your luck at cards has not been good, but such is the fate of gamblers. Perhaps this hand will see a change in your fortune. Well, better change. I've lost money that doesn't belong to me. If I fail to get it back, I'm ruined. I'll be stripped of rank and, well, maybe worse. What could be worse than that? After buying all those handsome new uniforms. Another card, George? Yes, yes, yes. Ah. Hmm. I will have another card also. There. Ah, I think I have you this time, Yolna. Nineteen. Sorry, George. I have twenty. I say, you've got to do something, Yolna. I'll pay you back. I'll do anything. I've got to save my honor. You told me you doubted the possibility of a native attack, did you not? That's right. Then I tell you what I will do for you. I will have my men load your safari with empty boxes of shells. Empty, save for some rocks, which we will put inside. By the time you have occasion to use them, you can claim some unidentifiable Arab cheated you. There will be no damage done, and your honor will be left intact. Oh, my word, that's a tremendous idea. It's capital. Dummies, eh? <laughs> How did you ever think of it, Yolna? I have had much experience with dummies. worry, Janokimo. The Englishman left without a single bullet. Uh. Your men can wait until they've exhausted their scant supply, and then you'll be able to destroy them without the loss of a single life. He's good. When the white man driven from Africa, Julnar made important woman. Much land, many jewels given her. But I won't wait forever, Janokimo. When will your warriors start the attack? Men of other tribes come now. Meet us, village, my people, come Yoamas. When Janokimo return there, he lead attack. And we not stop until last white man dead. What does it mean, Tarzan, this mad stampede of the jungle animals? Probably that thousands of native warriors are on their way here. The animals are fleeing from their path. There's still not a sign of Beekman. Well, he probably couldn't get here anyway. The stampede is traveling in the direction from which he should be approaching. It's lucky we have this shelter, flimsy though it is. When it looks as though the men who are with us here are condemned to death. At least the natives won't attack until the stampede is over. Well, that's something. And get all the rest of you can, men. It may be difficult with the infernal cries of the animals, but... Oh, someone's outside. Hastings, throw the door open. It may be... It's Major Beekman. Uh... 
What's left of me? Stampede. Destroyed all the supplies. All the men killed. I, I escaped through. Take it easy, it's a sir. miracle. Take it easy. I, I need medical attention. You'll, you'll have to get me to Fort Shamir. There was to be a doctor among the men, new men who were to arrive during the past week. Well, we can't get uh, you to Fort Shabir. The natives are massing for an attack. And, and even without that, these men are not jungle trained. They barely managed to get here. Well, someone has to get me to a doctor. I'll bring one here. I, I still don't believe that nonsense about the... To your post, uh, man! It's the major! Yes, sir. Bridges, take that big gun on the door, sir. Right, sir! Look at them. Thousands on all sides of the clearing. Are they within gun range? Just about, sir. Then fire at them. hold of her. Can't afford to waste ammunition. Our new supply of ammunition has reached Fort Shabir by now. Get someone through their lines. Send a messenger back to Fort Shabir instructing them to send all available men and equipment. No one could get through their lines, sir. Oh, but if someone could, we'd stand a chance, wouldn't we? Well, the natives know little about handling guns. Even with their superior numbers, you could control them if you had an unlimited supply of ammunition and, and additional troops. Well, that's what I thought. Lawrence, you'll have to get one of the men to make a try for it. Getting a message through to Fort Shabir would mean that we'd be safe. Yes, I think it would. But I I won't order any of my men to try to run a gauntlet of thousands of angry natives. Well, perhaps one of them will volunteer. I wouldn't ask for volunteers. All right, Major Beekman. Make a try for it myself. No, no, Captain Lawrence, I won't let you. Perhaps no one can get through to Fort Shabir, but if anyone stood a chance, it would be me. Now, if, if I managed to get across the clearing, I could take to the upper level. Yes, you'd stand a slim chance, but why should you risk your life to If the natives take this position, I'll be among those who are slaughtered anyway. I doubt that. They'll stop short of killing the lord of the jungle. What are you planning for, Lawrence? You have your volunteer? Better get going, Tarzan. Goodbye, Captain Lawrence. I hope we live to see one another again. Tarzan, I... Goodbye. You've been hit. Yes, but never mind me for now. Uh, what's happened to Tarzan? I, I can't see him from here. Uh, get to the window. Have you got binoculars? Yes, sir. Uh, then, then tell me, how's he doing? If he can reach Fort Shabir, he can bring a doctor and supplies. I see him, sir. He just ran from the cover of one rack to that of another. They certainly let him have everything they got. But their aim isn't so good. He's made another few feet now. They peppered the rockies behind him, maybe. Oh, no. Oh. No, he's in the clear again. I think. Yes. Yes, he's almost out of sight now. If he can just reach the protection of the trees. We have enough ammunition to hold them off until the others get here, but I can't see him at all now, sir. Then, then maybe he's failed. Perhaps. Oh. Sir. Well, Major Bigman, if help comes, it'll be too late to do you any I doubt that he's got through. No man could possibly. He's made it. And with nothing but jungle between Tarzan and Fort Shabir, it means we'll be saved. In just a moment, a preview of our next exciting story of Tarzan. November in the rain belt to the south of the equator. The days of sweltering damp heat, the nights of wet coldness. The constant fear of the jungle wilds and the haunting dread that someone you love has disappeared in the Congo and will never be seen again. Tarzan plays a strange role in a baffling mystery entitled African Thanksgiving. Our next story of the Lord of the Jungle. 
Tarzan, a transcribed creation of the famous Edgar Rice Burroughs, is produced by Walter White, Jr., prepared for radio by Bud Lesser, with original music by Albert Glesser. This is a Commodore production. and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Excelsior!